If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. We're going to be there in just a little bit. But a few weeks ago, we started a series entitled, The Devil Made Me Do It, on the temptations of Jesus and kind of looking at those temptations. And since we started that, we had one lesson, and then the next week, I was out with COVID, and the week after that, we did a Facebook Live sermon, and uh, so then last week, we had the floods, so it's been just a little bit of, uh, it's been kind of a tough couple of three weeks here, but we do get back to our series today, The Devil Made Me Do It, and as we start this morning, can I remind you that the devil doesn't make us do anything? The devil cannot make me or you do anything. He is a created being. He is not all-powerful. He is not God. He is powerful, but he does not have the same power that our God has. So the devil can't make us do anything. We tend to get in trouble all our, on our own, don't we? Now, Satan tempts us. He uses our flesh. He uses our weakness. Uh, Satan does observe, and he does watch, and he has demons that are watching and working for him. And, and that's a whole other sermon as to... Satan and how Satan works, but Satan can't make us do anything. Uh, Satan works with us quite often in the area of temptation, and, and we tend to get into trouble when temptation appears in front of us. And what we learned a few weeks ago was that every temptation we face has the potential to affect our future, the future of other people, and our faith. And we gave two basic rules or two basic uh, ideas about dealing with temptation. The first one was that there's always more going on than you realize. It's more than just that temptation that's in front of you. And, and we'll see that a little bit further today. Number two, your ability to withstand temptation has a lot to do with what you believe about God. Your ability to withstand temptation has a lot to do with what you believe about God. And we're going to add one more this week. Temptation, and here's our sermon in a sentence. Temptation is a test of your faith, not just your ability to say no. Let me say that again. Temptation is a test of your faith not just your ability to say no. Okay, that's it. Y'all can go home. No, but seriously, that, that is our, that's the whole idea. We're going to repeat that several times throughout this message. Every temptation you face, every temptation that I face, we ask these questions. Can God come through? Will God come through? Does God want to come through? Or does God even know that I need it to come through? All of that's going on every time you're tempted, every time I'm tempted. There are two basic views of God. And the first view of God is, is that God is just there. God, he created the world, he created the universe. He's that almighty, powerful cosmos that lives way up in the sky. He doesn't have anything to do with us little peons down here on earth. He doesn't get involved in what's going on down here day to day. 
God has got, now the big theological word for that is deism. Sometimes someone will say they're a deist, and you hear that, you think, well, that means he believes in God. <laughs> a deist basically, basically believes in God, but he believes in a God that's hands off. He believes that God created the world, and then he just lets the world do what it's going to do. They believe, and, and one, something else would fall into this category. Jesus Christ is a good guy. Jesus Christ is a moral guy. Jesus Christ is a good teacher. Jesus Christ is a prophet. I was talking to one of our Muslim inmates yesterday, well, Friday, and he says, I believe in Jesus Christ. I said, I know you do. I said, but what you believe about Jesus Christ and what I believe about Jesus Christ are two different things. I said, you believe Jesus Christ is a prophet, like Moses and Elijah and Jeremiah. I believe that Jesus is God. And I believe Jesus is my Savior. And I believe Jesus is the only way to get to the Father. So there's a lot of people that think Jesus is pretty cool. But when you start saying Jesus is the only way to the Father, that's where problems come. We'll talk about that here in just a little bit. These same folks will say the Bible's an important book. But so is the Book of Mormon. And so is... Uh, the Quran, or so is other religious books, the Buddha books that, that work in that religion. It's just another one of many. There are a lot of even Christian folks today. Uh, the last survey that was taken, I forget the exact percentage, but there's only like 50%, 56%. It was barely over 50% of professing Christians believe the Bible's the inspired word of God. And so that's sort of a, a scary thing when you think about where we are and, and where we're headed. But that gets back with that idea that God's up there. Yes, there's a God. I believe in God. But I believe he doesn't have anything to do with my day-to-day -day life. He doesn't have anything to do with dealing with me on earth. The sun goes up. The sun goes down. The moon rises. The moon sets. God is busy taking care of the big stuff. As far as my life's concerned, the details of my life, my money, my relationships, my job, my family, the little details of my life, if they're going to get done, then I'm going to have to get them done. If I don't do it, well, God's not going to do it, and therefore, it won't get done. So if I have to bend the rules, if I have to compromise, if, if I have to lie, to cheat, to steal, to do whatever I have to do, I'm going to do it because, after all, God helps those who help themselves, right? And if you notice in your bulletin, that's what I titled today's sermon. God helps those who help themselves. And what we're going to look at over the next three weeks in these three temptations are three lies that Satan teaches us. And this one is, God takes care of those who take care of themselves. Next week we're going to look at, let's make a deal. And then the third week is going to be, you can own this now. But today, that's that big view of God. That's one way of looking at God. If I don't get it done, it's not going to get done because God doesn't have anything to do with my day-to-day -day life. The second view of God tells me, and this is what I believe, by the way, and if you want to ask me why I believe that after church, I'll be glad to go into it a little bit further. But here's what I believe. I believe that God cares about the details of my life. I believe that God cares about the details of your life. I believe that God watches over us. 
I pray that God would show up in my, on my behalf in our little bitty world. I don't just call God the heavenly creator. I don't just call God the master of the cosmos. I don't just call God a big picture God. He is all of those things. But do you know what God is for me? He's my heavenly father. He's my Abba. He's my daddy. My dad was a crazy sort of fellow. He had a, just a sense of humor that was bigger than himself and he made great pizza and he did all these things but I can honestly say about my dad if I needed my dad my dad would always be there for me when, when I need that my dad had his faults but my dad would always be there for me he was my daddy and you know what that's what God is God takes care of us a lot of times we get ourselves into a dilemma we have a need and a desire and we say well I can meet this need I can meet this desire, but it isn't exactly legal. It isn't exactly moral. It isn't exactly proper. It isn't exactly godly. It isn't exactly moral. So the dilemma I have, do I do it myself and disobey God? Or do I let myself wait a minute and pray for God to come in his time and in his way to meet my need or to meet my desire. I won't say it again. Every time you and I are tempted, it's a test of your faith in God, not just your ability to say no. The ultimate question is, can God meet my need? Is my God big enough? Y'all, my God, out of nothing, created the world. My God said, let there be light. And there was light. My God divided the Red Sea. My God made the sun stand still. If God can do all that, is God big enough to address my loneliness? Is God big enough to address my need for intimacy? Is God big enough to meet my need to carry me to a job promotion or to a better job? Is my God big enough to drop into my world and help provide for my family? Is my God big enough to drop into my world and do something in my marriage? Is God big enough to bring my crazy kids back to Him? That's the question when we're tempted. For every temptation we have to ask, can I wait a minute for God to show up? Or do I have to do this right now under my own power and in my own time? That's what's going on every time you, every time I face temptation. I'm alone on Friday night again. Do I do what the rest of the world does? Or do I trust God to provide? I need to close a business deal. I need to make a sale badly. Do I do what everybody else does and not fully disclose everything? Or do I do a right, the right thing? Do I fully disclose and trust in God? When I used to sell cars, I had about a two-month stint in car selling. 
I wanted to join the wonderful world of sales because they, they put out an ad that says you can make hundreds of thousands of dollars. So I was going to become the next great car salesman. And a lady came in to look at a car and she said, uh, I need a car that has an ABS braking system. I said, okay. And so she found a car she really liked. And the problem was it didn't have an ABS braking system. And she asked me if it did, and I kind of put her off a little bit. I didn't say yes or no. But I went and I told my boss, I said, uh, this lady really likes this car, and I think she'd buy it. But she said she wants a car that's got ABS braking system. And he said, well, tell her it's got the ABS braking system. She won't know the difference. And I said, isn't that kind of unethical? It's, my mom would call that a lie. And he said, no, you go tell her that. I'm telling you as your boss, you go tell her that. And I, and I needed to make the sale because I was a new guy. But I said, you know what? I'm not going to tell her that. And I left. And that was my extent of the wonderful world of sales. I went back into restaurant management where I belonged. But we get into situations where we need to pay the rent or we need to pay the car note. or we It's a desperate situation and we see a way out, but that way out isn't God's way. And we have to make a choice. Are we, are we going to meet our need our way or, or are we going to wait for God to do things his way? The ultimate question is, how big is God and how much faith do we have in him to do what he says he's going to do? Can God be trusted? Does God care? Can I tell you a secret? Yes. God can be trusted. God cares. But let me tell you what. There's no alternative besides that. Because as a Christian, when you start, start believing that God doesn't care, when you stop trusting before long, not only will you not trust, you won't obey. And before long, you won't believe. Remember how we said when we started in the first lesson, we said temptation is a test of our faith? It really, really is. I have never met someone that left the faith solely because of philosophical, theological reasons. The reason people leave the faith is because they stop believing. They stop trusting. It's a little bit at a time until they've wandered way over here. Genesis 1-1, when you open the Bible, it opens up with, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. If that statement is true, then the rest of the Bible is true. If that statement is false, then none of the Bible is true. God is either everything he says he is, or he's just another God that doesn't really exist. He's another God like Zeus and Jupiter and Apollos and all those guys. God is. 
who he says he is. There are two dots we need to connect. And when you connect these two dots, and here's the first one, my temptation, whatever it is I'm tempted with, if I can connect that dot to the dot that God can be trusted, we will start making progress in our fight with temptation. When I can take my temptation and realize that it's ultimately a question is, the ultimate question is, can I trust God to meet my need? We'll start being effective when we're tempted. Now, let's turn to Matthew 4. This, our lesson today is all about this, this first temptation. And we'll go back just to review. Verse 1. That Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you're the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now the lesson we learn from this temptation is not in the specifics. You and I probably won't be asked or tempted to turn stones to bread. We're not going to be tempted to jump off the pinnacle of a temple. We're not going to be offered all the kingdoms of the world if we'll bow down to Satan. The value of Jesus' temptation. To us is that on three different occasions, Jesus Christ is tempted to trust himself rather than trust God. That's what all these temptations are about. Trust yourself. Meet your own need instead of letting God meet your need. This first temptation for Jesus is for Jesus to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. To meet a God-given need in an ungodly way. Jesus has been in the wilderness for 40 days. He's hungry. When I go 40 minutes without food, I'm hungry. I can't imagine what it'd be like to be 40 days without food. He's hungry. He's weak. Satan comes to him and says, if you're the son of God, prove it. You're hungry, aren't you? Turn these stones to bread. Now for me, that would not be a temptation because I couldn't turn the stones to bread. But Jesus could, right? Jesus could very easily turn those stones to bread. And on the surface in our eyes, that's not really that big of a deal. It's just food. It's just bread. After all, you got to have food to eat. you got to have food to live. But Jesus sees the big picture. Jesus understands the real issue here is not bread. The real issue here is, do I trust my Heavenly Father to meet my needs? Or do I take care of myself? And the reason I know Jesus saw that is because of his answer in verse 4. Jesus answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And when we first look at that, that sounds kind of weird to us. It sounds kind of foreign to us, but Jesus is going back to the book of Deuteronomy. 
All three of Jesus' response, he said, to get this out again. All three of Jesus' responses to Satan, all three temptations, Jesus says it is written. And all three scriptures he quotes are from the book of Deuteronomy. And Jesus goes back to the book of Deuteronomy. You've got to go back in history here. Real quick history trip. Remember Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph? And the children of Israel were in Egyptian slavery for 400 years. And during this time, there wasn't much religion. There wasn't any prophets. God dealt with these folks one-on-one. -on -one. And then God decides that he's going to deliver his people, the Israelites, the Hebrews, from Egypt. And he's going to take them to the promised land in Canaan. And there's about two million of them. Marie and I had all we could do to move two of us when we moved. Moses is going to have to oversee two million getting moved. And God takes them to the wilderness. And one of the first things these people say are, we're hungry. You brought us out here in this wilderness, we're going to starve to death. That's the way we Baptists get when the clock says 10 after 12. You know, we're hungry. We're going to starve to death. Well, they really were hungry. Have you ever been out in the desert? There's just not much there. I haven't been out in one either, but I saw it on TV, and I've read about it. There's not much there. And so God said, here's what I'm going to do. He said, I'm going to give you something called manna. And they said, what's manna? God, we're going to I'm going to show you. It's like bread. Remember how that manna worked? Every morning they would go out and they would pick manna. It says manna was like the dew on the grass. And they would pick the manna, but they could only pick enough manna for that day. They couldn't pick extra. If they picked extra, it would rot. It would stink. It would ruin the whole batch. The only time they could pick up more than one day is the day before the Sabbath. Because God didn't want them to... Uh, pick up the manna on the Sabbath so they could eat there. For 40 years, God gave them manna. God gave them manna instead of, in a few, what didn't take long, the people said, we're tired of this bread. We want something else. Can't you give us something better? So God gave them quail. So for 40 years, every day, God provides manna and quail. Now watch this. Do you remember when we studied Pray Jesus' Way? And we said that Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. I reckon where that goes back to. It goes right back to this manna. God is teaching these Israelites, and he taught them for 40 years, that I will meet your needs. I will take care of of you. But then he told them, and keep your finger in Matthew, flip over to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Time has passed, the 40 years are up, and God's getting ready to lead the people into the promised land. 
And in Deuteronomy chapter 8, we'll start verse 1 for context. I want us to see verses 2 and 3. Deuteronomy 8, verse 1. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So I humbled you, I allowed you to hunger, and I fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Does that sound familiar? See what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying, Satan, there is more to life than just food. God is going to meet our needs. And as you go on in this chapter, we won't read it all for time's sake, but God gives them a warning. God tells them, you're going to go into this promised land. And when you get there, you're going to live in houses you haven't built. You're going to eat grapes that you haven't planted. You're going to eat the fruit of the gardens that you didn't plant. I'm going to stop giving you this manna and he says, when you get there, you're going to be tempted to think you can take care of yourself. You're going to be blessed. Things are going to be good. He said, and you're going to forget about me. Do you know the danger of meeting our own needs? The danger of meeting our own needs is we forget about God. You see, this first temptation, it might have been about Jesus turning the stones to bread, but it actually, remember how the, our first rule of temptation, there's always more going on than you realize? Jesus Christ knew and realized that this is more than turning stones to bread. The big question is, do I trust God to meet my needs? Or do I need to do it myself? Can I wait for God, or am I going to do it myself? God connects meeting physical needs with the manna to obeying his will and to staying in the center of his will. There's more to life than eating and physical needs. Did y'all know that? I like to eat. You can tell that. I haven't missed too many meals. I, I enjoy eating. But there's more to life than eating. There's more to life than being successful at work. There's more to life than our physical needs. The greatest thing in our life is to learn to live under the umbrella and the canopy of God's care. Saying, God, I know you're going to take care of me. No matter what happens, no matter where we go, I want to live in the center of your will. With all that said, let's fast forward to 2021. Whatever our need or our desire is, it's a God-given desire. Have you ever thought about that? Every desire, every need that we have is God-given. Food, companionship, intimacy, success at work, a happy home, all of these things are God-given. Now here's a question. 
Don't you think that if God gave you these needs and desires, that God would have an interest in meeting your needs and desires? If he gave you these needs and desires to draw you toward him, don't you think that he is interested, he cares, and he'll help you meet that need? Every time you're tempted, it's a test of your faith, not just your ability to say no. Jesus realized that the real issue wasn't food. The real issue was, do I trust my Heavenly Father enough to meet my need? It wasn't just about his need, it was about his faith. Jesus says, it is written, God is already talked, and history tells me this. It is written, I'm not going to leave the canopy of God's will to meet my own need. I'll let the Father take care of me. It is written, y'all, this morning, it is written, God has proven time and time again that when men and women trust him, he will meet their need. It is written, Jesus says, as hungry as I am, Satan, you're not going to steal my faith. God is interested in me, and God will meet my needs. As we wrap this up, I've got a question for you. What is the area of your life where you're most tempted to meet a legitimate need in an improper way? Where are you most tempted? And for all of us, it's going to be different. We're all at in different places, we're all at different stages of our lives. What area are you most tempted? I've got good news for you this morning. God wants to show up right there in your life. God wants to help. God wants to show up in your life if you'll let him. You and I just need to learn to wait a minute and say, God, or Satan, man shall not live by whatever your blank is, alone. What makes life worth living is staying under the canopy of God's will and staying under the umbrella of God and letting God meet our needs. We can't let ourselves fall into this trap. If I don't do this, then it won't get done because God stands ready to meet our need. Christ was hungry for food. What are you hungry for? Do you believe God cares? Do you believe God is interested? And if you say yes, listen to me. It's in the gap where God is honored. Fight that temptation. It's in the gap where your faith is stretched. If you'll join, join God on a journey of faith, he'll take you to places you never dreamed you'd go. Y'all remember that old army? commercial, join the army and see the world. Start a journey of faith with God and God will take you places you never dreamed you'd go. In the gap is where God will blow your mind and show up. What are you hungry for? Every temptation is a test, not only of your faith, or not just, let me say that again, Every time you and I are tempted, it's a test of your faith and my faith, not just our ability to say no. 
Here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to pray. God, today, I'm going to trust you to meet my needs. Help me make the next right decision and do the next right thing. You know what we do sometimes? At least I know what I do. I say, I'm going to live next week for God. Sometimes I think that's too big of a distance. I really think what we need to say is, the next decision I have to make, I'm going to make a godly decision. And then we make a next decision, God leads us to the next decision. I'm going to live this day. When I wake up today, Lord, help me live today in your will. And then break it down. Help me live this hour in your will. And when you're faced with temptation, we need to say, God, I know you'll meet my needs and move on. Don't try to bite off more than you can chew. There's an old saying that says you eat an elephant one day at a time. Temptation is a lifelong deal. We'll read, and, and Matthew doesn't tell us, but the Luke account of Jesus' temptation. At the very end of the temptation it says Satan leaves. Luke says Satan leaves for a season. The bad news is you're always going to be tempted. Can you make it go away? That's the way that it is. You know what the good news is? The good news is Jesus Christ already won. The war's been won. The war's been fought and won. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he took Satan's last power away from him. Now you and I face daily battles, but you know what else? You have the Spirit living in you. If you're a Christ follower... This ought to be the verse. This verse just came to my mind. This ought to be our verse for this series. You remember the verse that says, Greater is he that is in me than he who is in the world. That ought to be our verse. Because no matter what we face, you say, I can't win this battle of temptation. Greater is he that is in me. The, news, the, the bad news is you can't. The good news is God can and you can through the power of God. Scripture tells us that same resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead is inside of us to help us fight and help us win. Satan tells a lie. God helps those who help themselves. Now understand, we're supposed to work and we're supposed to provide for our families and that's a whole other issue. The question comes down to when God gives us a need, we need to look to Him for the fulfillment. See temptation for what it is. In the middle of that temptation, wait a minute. Trust God and wait on Him. Now, where are you in your walk with the Lord? We are different people and we are at different places. I don't know what your next steps are. You may be walking hand in hand with Jesus and y'all might be running together right now. Boy, you're on a mountaintop and looking and things are glorious. You may be in a valley right now. The same Jesus that holds your hand on the mountaintop goes through that valley hand in hand with you as well. Can I encourage you to take your next step? God never invites us to sit. God invites us to walk in the Spirit. 
Walk implies motion. Aren't you glad he didn't say run in the spirit? I told somebody, if you see me running, you better run too. Something's coming. <laughs> he says, walk in the spirit. But that means moving. Where's God, where's God leading you? He's got you by his hand. If you're a Christ follower, he wants to help you. He wants to move you along to the next mountaintop. And the only way to get to the next mountaintop is through the valley. There's no such thing as mountain hopping. It'd be kind of nice if you could zip line from one mountaintop to the next mountaintop. The only way to the next mountaintop is through the valley. And God's got you there, too. Maybe your next step is to just to rededicate your life and say, Lord, I haven't trusted you like I should have. Starting today, I want to live under the canopy of your will. And I want to wait on you to meet my needs because I know you will. Maybe you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior for the first time. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? He said, I've gone to church all my life. I said, that, that's not what I ask you. What I ask you is, do you have a relationship with Jesus? I, and I told him, I got very serious with him. I said, you know you're on your last leg. Unless God intervenes and does a miracle, you're not going to make it. This is a very important question. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? And he never would answer me. And he passed away, and I don't know if he do the Lord or not. I know he went to church. I know he came to my Bible study on Monday night. He came to Chaplain Jenkins' Bible study on Tuesday night. And he came to Chaplain Pardue's Bible study on Wednesday night. But I also know he was mixed up in stuff he ought not be mixed up with. And I don't know if he knew Jesus or not. But when it's all said and done, if we trust Jesus with our life, why don't we trust Jesus with our soul? Amen? If you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, it's simple. Admit you're a sinner. You're not going to tell Jesus anything he doesn't know. You haven't done a thing Jesus doesn't know about. Just say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. Guess what? None of us can. Confess that you believe Jesus is God's Son. He died for you. His finished work on the cross is enough to save you. Say, Jesus, save me. And guess what? He will. Don't you say, I've been too bad for Jesus to save me. There's nobody that's been too bad for Jesus to save. There's also nobody so good they don't need a Savior. Amen? Amen. Your sins won't keep you from being saved. Your goodness sometimes keeps people from coming to the Lord. Whatever is standing between you and Jesus, throw it away this morning. Maybe you need to be baptized. Maybe you need to join the church. Maybe you need to help in a ministry. Whatever it is that God is calling you to do for your next step. That's what we're all about. Why do we come to church? We come to church to worship God. But we also come to church to encourage one another to help us grow closer to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your son Jesus. And I just thank you for the record of these temptations in the book of Matthew and Luke. And I just pray that we don't just read over them quickly thinking we're familiar with, with all of this. Help us to see and help your spirit to teach us and to show us the lessons that we need to learn because we understand that Jesus was tempted just like we are. And we understand the lessons we can learn from Jesus' temptations. 
we can put to use in our battle with Satan as well. Father, if there's anyone in this audience that is out of, from under the umbrella of your will, I pray your Holy Spirit would convict them this morning to make things right with you. In Jesus' name, amen.